And this is WPKN in Bridgeport. Welcome to a special WPKN public affairs program where this afternoon we'll be discussing former President Donald Trump's most recent indictment on federal charges related to his attempt to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election and subvert the will of the nation's voters. For our discussion, we're joined by WPKN's public affairs director, Richard Hill, on the line, longtime WPKN producers, Ibang Udoma, Denise Manzari, John Lugo, and Hazel Kahn. Uh, we'll hear in just a little bit from Michael Zweig, professor of economics emeritus at Stony Brook University in New York, and I'm Scott Harris. As most of our listeners know, disgraced former President Trump was indicted by special counsel Jack Smith on new criminal charges on August 1st based on his alleged role leading a multi-pronged attempt to stay in power after losing the 2020 presidential election to Joe Biden. That included, of course, the January 6th insurrection and coup attempt that killed five people and injured hundreds of Capitol Police officers. On Tuesday, Trump was indicted on four charges, conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. Donald Trump has now been the target of three indictments in just four months that include the earlier adult film star Hush Money case and the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case that will go to trial presumably next year. These cases are in addition to a series of civil lawsuits relating to irregularities in his business conduct and his conviction for sexual abuse and defamation of the writer E. Jean Carroll. It's expected that later this month, Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis will indict Trump on additional charges related to his alleged criminal meddling in the state of Georgia's 2020 election vote count. Despite all these serious charges and one conviction for sexual assault, Donald Trump remains popular with Republican voters and is the front-runner to become the Republican Party's 2024 presidential candidate. And I'd like to welcome in our studio Ibang Udoma, who's here with us. And Ibang, you interviewed uh, Chris Murphy recently. And just by way of uh, some housekeeping here, we're going to get to a lot of comments from the folks we have on the phone and people we have yet to reach on the phone. But uh, we will um, get to that shortly. But Ibang, maybe you could... Uh, tell us a little bit about your conversation with um, uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for having me here. Um, uh, you know, this Trump issue is tangential to what I normally do. I, I cover uh, Connecticut politics and uh, some national politics, but uh, especially during presidential elections. Well, I happened to be with uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy on Thursday, the day that uh, Trump was arraigned in, uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, so I asked him, you know, what the significance of, of the arraignment was. And uh, if you have, uh, I have a cut that I have queued up for, I mean, that I have given to you, if you could queue it up now. Um, this is basically what uh, Chris Murphy had to say about uh, the arraignment of Donald Trump on Thursday. Accountable for his crimes. I mean, we shouldn't normalize what happened here. The president deliberately um, 
led an insurrection against the federal government. He gathered all those people there on January 6th for a reason, to try to stop the certification of Joe Biden's victory. I don't get involved in these cases. I, 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 this is ultimately going to be a decision for a jury to make as to whether Donald Trump is convicted or not. But in this country, if you commit the crime of insurrection, um, you can't get away with it. Or we just encourage more people to do the same in the future. Yeah, that's that's what he had to say. And, and you know, Scott, you were talking about the fact that um, Donald Trump still seems to have support from Republicans. So I asked um, I asked Senator Murphy about that and what he makes of the fact that the GOP is behind Donald Trump. Well, it's pretty extraordinary that the Republican Party is still considering nominating a person for president who's been indicted three times for serious crimes, for mishandling classified documents, for leading an insurrection against the federal government. I mean, what a sad statement on the Republican Party that they're still considering making him their nominee for president. They have other good candidates. He's not the only person running for president. You know, why don't they take a look at some of, you know, these other candidates who are actually interested in upholding democracy, who are decent human beings. Um, uh, I hope the Republican Party finally decides to get rid of this guy and nominate somebody else for president. And that was uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut commenting on the latest indictment of Donald Trump. You know, I, I think we'll go to our our, our uh, panelists on the phone with us, and I'll introduce them in a minute. But, Ibang, maybe you could just take the lead here and, and tell us a little bit about your initial feelings, brief, so we can get everybody else. But, uh, yeah, what's what's your initial uh, reading of what, what happened? It's, it's historic. It's the first time a former U.S. president has been indicted on this kind of charge, trying to overturn an election. Well, it's the first time we've had an insurrection uh, trying to stop an, uh, the the the, uh, um, the process of government. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the transition of, of government in, in the United States. So it's everything is unprecedented here, and um, there has to be some type of consequence for what happened, what we saw. I mean, it wasn't a matter of what we were told. It's a matter of something that unfolded right before our eyes on live TV. So um, uh, it's taken a while to get here, but I had expected from that day that it would would get to this point. Thank you for that, Ibang. And uh, let's go to um, Richard Hill, who's on the line with us, and um, WPKN's Public Affairs Director. Richard, what are are some of your observations in uh, seeing history made this past uh, Wednesday? Thanks, Scott, for manning the uh, board there. Yeah, um, I think I'd like to say that, you know, I've been sort of waiting for some kind of accountability for Donald Trump since pretty much the first months of his presidency when he began to uh, do corrupt acts regarding emoluments, receiving gifts and uh, payments for his hotels, appointing his uh, children to take over his businesses and, and pretend that he was uh, actually operating in, in the blind. So I've been waiting and waiting for some kind of accountability. And so when it came on uh, Tuesday, it was sort of like a huge sigh of relief for me. But I must say that that was quickly followed by this sort of cold bulb of of dread that formed in my stomach as I began to anticipate what the uh, Republican 
response would be and what the right-wing media response would be. And, you know, I must say in that regard, it was stunning how quickly Trump himself and the entire Republican Party doubled down on the underlying and often explicit racism that I think is the fuel to the Trump neo-fascism. I'll leave it there. Thank you, Richard. So, as I said, Richard Hill is uh, on the line with us. You just heard his uh, introductory remarks. So we're going to hear from Michael Swig and Denise Manzari um, in that order. But a little later, we're going to be joined by John Lugo and WPKM producer Hazel Kahn, both of whom will reach on the phone uh, later in this broadcast. We'll be here till 5 p.m. But, Michael Swig, I'd like you to uh, respond with your initial reaction to uh, the Trump indictment on August 1st. Uh, am I unmuted? You can hear me? I can hear you, yes. Wonderful. Well, you know, the guy's a crook. The guy's just a charlatan, and he has been for his whole professional life. Uh, And those people in New York City who knew him best uh, knew it from the beginning. There's nothing new here in his bravado, in his uh, lying, in his uh, uh, basically criminal activity. Um, You know, he... He's claiming in the Republican Party, uh, Fox News, all these commentators are saying, oh, it's free speech, it's free speech, or locking them up uh, for statements. That's absolutely not true. And I think that it's essential that we understand and that our listeners understand that there is nothing in here that is indicting him for anything he said or anything he believed. He's being indicted for what he did in fomenting and in organizing conspiracies to defraud the people of the United States of their votes to elect the president. He's being uh, indicted for what he did in conspiring to obstruct justice and to obstruct the government proceeding. Those are things he did. And as, of course, people have pointed out, I've seen commentators on TV, of course, when you have a conspiracy, you speak. And so he's talking to different people about what to do and what not to do and how to do what he wants to do. And in that, he's speaking. But he's speaking about committing a crime. And there is no free speech coverage for speaking to commit a crime. That's a conspiracy. And so I think that that is a distinction that we really have to keep in mind because the onslaught of uh, Republican and Fox News and other uh, uh, defenses that we hear and that I hear just in in community where I live of people who support Trump. And and I just have to say, no, that is not what's going on here. And I think that that is one of the most important things that we need to get straight. Thank you, Michael. And uh, right now, I want to hear Denise Manzari and her initial reaction to the Trump indictment. I know she's followed all these events closely since 2016, and now Trump, uh, he's, uh, he's got 78 felony counts against him and three indictments with more to come. What do you say, Denise? The numbers just keep uh, increasing. You know, um, it, is, it always stunned me that the call to um, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger was not sufficient right then and there. I'm just looking for 11,780 votes. You know, you couldn't put a a criminal action more up front and center than that. And it's being recorded. Um, 
it, it's just this whole thing is phenomenal to me. And the fact that his base since the indictment has dug in even deeper with their support for him just boggles the mind because they will they have this blind devotion to him that is unwavering no matter what he does. He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose the support of them, which is a phenomenon to me. I do not understand it. I don't think I'll ever understand it. Um, the indictment, yes, a conviction is what's going to do it. But will that actually happen? I mean, the language that he's using towards Jack Smith at this point it is bordering on a criminal act as well. He's almost putting together a threat with free speech, calling him every name in the book. And I mean, it's just such a childish thing. And he's always been that way. It's nothing new. But sadly, he got out of the bubble of his real estate and his fake Trump University sphere and entered the realm of politics, the arena of politics. And so all of this was front, you know, right out front for everybody to see. Um, so I just, I'm glad it's Jack Smith. I'm glad that this has taken place. Um, the fact that the defense, as Michael said, you know, they're, the defense of using free speech is so absurd and, and, you know, just, on the face of it, it just doesn't hold water. But the trial date, how that's going to play out, will the judge put a gag order on certain things that he could say? Seems like he's gotten to the edge of what's legal and acceptable at this point. Um, and we'll just see how it, how it plays out. I, I think he is going to be the, I don't want to say it, I think he's going to be the, you know, front runner for the Republican Party. It really seems to be playing out that way at this point. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't want to go any further than there right now. I just, okay. I can't think, can't bring myself to do it. If you're just joining us, uh, this is a special one-hour program on the indictment of Donald Trump this past week on uh, charges of his attempt to overturn the 2020 uh, presidential election. And with us on the line are uh, WPCAM producers Richard Hill, Michael Zweig, and Denise Manzari. Here in the studio, we're joined by WPCAM producer Ibang Udoma and myself, Scott Harris. In just a little while, we're going to be speaking with um, John Lugo and Hazel Khan to get their take on things. And we'll invite your calls as well. But uh, I did want to go to you, Ibang, and uh, ask you a, a question here about the timing of all this. Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice, a 32-month delay in indicting Trump for his coup attempt has resulted in his trials bumping up against the 2024 presidential campaign, where Trump is expected to be the, the GOP candidate. He's caused this, this particular delay has caused a lot of uncertainty if these trials will get, get underway or even be complete before voters go to the polls in November 2024. What do you think? I don't know. Uh, I, I tell you, as a, as an everyday reporter, I don't try to. <laughs> I, I take them as they come because uh, it, it's <clears throat> to start off with the reason why the Justice Department took so long to get its um, get get the 
machine rolling on on dealing with this issue uh, is something that uh, I still don't understand. But mm. it, it seems the way it has played out that it was the congressional investigation that gave them the cover to now uh, take this on and that there, there was a, a reluctance to take it on until these things were out there in, in the public domain through the, um, the January 6th hearings. And, um, and, and then the fact that uh, they had to get, Merrick Garland had to get a special counsel to, um, to come in and, and handle this. Um, it's, uh, you see, the politics, and, and, and Donald Trump is a political uh, person through and through, and he seems to understand the politics a lot better than a lot of us that cover, <laughs> cover it, mm -hmm. because it, it, it never ceases to amaze me, uh, the psychology involved in getting people to support you who know that they're being lied to. You know, it's one thing to say that they're being deceived, but they know that they're being lied to, you know. So um, right now, I am optimistic that we'll have a trial before uh, the elections next year, and, it, uh, and actually the trial will be over before then, mm -hmm. but um, anything can happen. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to go to uh, Richard Hills on the line um, to get your reaction to, to that question or any other aspect of this case. And we'll go down the line as well and uh, speak with Michael Swig and Denise as well. But uh, what's, what's your reaction to the delay? Any, any part of that, uh, Richard? Richard? Richard, we can't hear you. All right. Well, we've, we may have lost Richard. Um, I'll ask Michael Zweig to respond. Michael, can you respond to that whole delay and how it interferes with this election campaign? Well, the delay uh, comes uh, because it just takes a long time to put all the pieces together. You know, this is a serious matter. We're indicting or we're watching the indictment of a person for serious crimes, and it's a serious person. It doesn't matter if it's Joe Blow or Donald Trump. Bringing a federal indictment is a very serious matter, and nobody does it lightly. And so it takes time to adduce all the evidence, to get all the witnesses, to cross the T's and dot the I's, and make sure that everything is all right. I have heard reporting, I don't have any independent knowledge, that uh, people in the Justice Department were uh, nervous about going after Donald Trump yeah. uh, if there wasn't adequate preparation in the public's mind that it would be a legitimate thing, because Donald Trump had so politicized the uh, government apparatus that, uh, and Biden had come in saying, we're not going to do that, we're not going to politicize things, for the Justice Department immediately to turn around and, and, and begin a major investigation of the, pre of the former president would sure look like politicizing. And so I think that they were reluctant to get started right away. On, and then the uh, Congressional uh, January 6th Commission brought out enough that, uh, to the public and in a way that the public could understand. that uh, It loosened up the, the possibilities for the Justice Department to proceed, even with the appearance 
of legitimacy, not just the the actual legitimacy, which they would have had from day one, but they would not have had perhaps the appearance of legitimacy that is essential for uh, this kind of a prosecution. So I think that that goes a long way to explaining the delay. Plus, as I say, it, it's a laborious process to put all this together mm-hmm. and to line up all the testimony and to make sure that everybody's going to say what they need to say or what you want them to say in order to uh, bring this trial to a conviction. Because you certainly don't want to have a trial that opens up to great fanfare and then doesn't go anywhere. Thank you for that. Let me chime in on that, uh, Scott. Oh, you're back. Good. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I I would just uh, sort of um, modulate that remark, Michael, by saying that, you know, the the initial reaction to the insurrection was pretty much universal condemnation of Donald Trump. I think that was, I mean, you had Mitch McConnell, you had Kevin uh, McCarthy, you know, all these leading Republican figures just completely outraged about it. Their lives were in danger. They were they were shocked and horrified. And then you had the commission, the January 6th commission take take hold. But I mean, I think there was momentum right at the beginning for Merrick Garland to initiate the special counsel. Why did he not do that right then and there? And uh, Jack Smith did all the research uh, maybe in tandem with the January 6th commission. But, I mean, I, I think the problem for me was that Merrick Garland waited for the entire January 6th commission to unfold, and then there was still a gap before the, the special counsel was, was appointed. Special counsel is a nonpartisan figure who operates independently of the Justice Department. Justice Department does not have a, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down over what he does. So he could have started and been regarded as a nonpartisan investigation. And so I think Merrick Garland definitely, uh, for the wrong reasons, not just being circumspect and and careful, but being fearful about, you know, his own political, I, I don't, I don't even know if it's a political animal per se, but just uh, fearing the slings and arrows who were going to come from the right. He delayed and delayed and delayed. And that really, I think, has put us in a very difficult position here. Well, let me just uh, say one thing, and then I'll I'll, uh, leave it to others, that uh, when there was that initial outrage about uh, the, the riot and the breaking into the Capitol and all that disruption and all that damage and death, in the ultimate indictment, none of that figures in. And that the, Trump is not being indicted for fomenting that. That's not part of the part of what Merrick, what what uh, Jack Smith is bringing, and that's because there would be too difficult. It's one thing to have the court of public opinion and everybody's up in arms saying this is terrible and Trump did it, but was it criminal? what Trump did. I didn't hear too many people say on January 7th that it was criminal and with a straight face and being able to demonstrate it. And even right now, we don't have an assertion on the part of uh, uh, Jack Smith that what Donald Trump did on January 6th was itself criminal. And so I think we just have to be a little careful about 
what we're imputing to whom and when and where. Thank you, Michael. Denise, I wanted to get your take on the uh, the, the consequences of the 32-month delay in prosecuting Trump uh, for January 6th and all that preceded it, um, or any other aspect you want to comment on. Yeah, um, you know, I know Merrick Garland took a lot of um, flack for, I guess, quote-unquote, a delay. Some are calling it, you know, a blunder, a mistake. You know, I know he, he was very careful about Appointing the special counsel wasn't fast enough for some people, um, and that may very well be true. The fact that what Michael says I concur with, but on the other hand, all this delay kind of pushed this into the beginning of this election season, and that's exactly what Trump, his attorneys, and supporters are using, that the DOJ actually is politicized now because they're doing this for political reasons, because he's a candidate, and that's their motivation, and that's what he's using. And the fact that Cannon kind of split the difference to the original court date, kind of in the middle, I think in December. But Trump and his attorneys are going to also use that to push their own delays. His main thing is to delay, 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 so it becomes something that if it's, if it's dragged out long enough, maybe it'll happen after the election with all of the witnesses and trial uh, dates, court dates. And then if he possibly wins, then he's golden at that point. So that's the next thing that we're going to have to look for is that his team is going to push for a lot of delays based on what I'm not sure, but I'm sure they'll come up with some absurd reason, but that's the next move that they're going to make. I think, you know, for that, in addition to demonizing the DOJ, Jack Smith and anybody involved in having him held accountable for his actions. And this is WPKN's special program this afternoon on the Trump indictment on August 1st for his uh, multi-pronged attack on the 2020 election, trying to overturn his loss. And we're joined on the phone by Denise Manzari, who you just heard, uh, Professor Michael Zweig, and uh, Richard Hill. And uh, I'm Scott Harris here in the studio with Ibang Udoma. And I I wanted to ask you all uh, another question here pertaining to this whole uh, indictment and what comes next. Um, And answer this if you want or respond to anything else about this indictment. We're not trying to lock it into my questions, but uh, here's something that I've been thinking about. Should Donald Trump be permitted to run for president or any public office, given that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution disqualifies any person from public office who engages in insurrection? And we just saw Jair Bolsonaro prohibited from running for public office in Brazil just months after he lost his election. And uh, the courts cited all his misconduct uh, during and after the election that fomented violence in Brazil's capital. Anyway, they acted pretty damn quick and they prohibited him from from um, from participating in public office. But I I did want to ask you that. Well, first. the thing about this is that unless you're convicted, uh, you can. You can just to come back, I read the, the commentary about the constitutional uh, uh, 
Fourteenth Amendment, Section Three. Yeah. You do not have to be convicted. Uh, uh, what do you have to be? Uh, I haven't uh, read it. Just so. evidence, but it, uh, but uh, conviction is not part but, of but, it. But but what if you are arrested? It's it's just participating in an in a, but how do in you an insurrection. But how do you determine that? I think it's Legally. very vague and like many things in our constitution. But so, I, so I think it would you're be right. adjudicated. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it would, would have be, to be, and it would be decided by the Supreme Court. And this Supreme Court <laughs> certainly so. doesn't seem to be amenable to that. So I'll I'll go to you, Richard Hill. What do you think? Well, I, yeah, I, I I'm not conversant with the legal mechanisms involved here, as apparently Bong is. Is not either, but um, I mean I think it's it's so it, it is so, that there should that, that there should not be a clear cut uh, barrier to somebody who has had as much involvement with this episode and and leading up to it. Not and again this is this is not just the the so-called insurrection that happened where how many 20,000 people stormed the Capitol that Donald Trump was, was the orchestrator of. It's not just that. It's everything that led up to it. It's, it's all the machinations, the, the voter, uh, tam the tampering with uh, voter, uh, the, the electoral count and all, and all the rest of that stuff. So it's just, to me, there are gaping holes in our uh, uh, constitutional legal structure that allow for us even to have this conversation. I mean, he should have been barred from running from a from for, for re-election. Well, the thing well about it, he even well before he even declared his candidacy. Yeah, and, well, I mean, that, well, you know, you know, Richard, the Constitution cannot anticipate everything. That's <laughs> so. So, least of all, Donald Trump. <laughs> so well, that's, know, that's, also, that's that's what we're dealing with here. You yeah, know, but it's also true that this that that Fourteenth Amendment was passed after the Civil War. Yes. And what yes. it was directed at was not Donald Trump. It was directed at Robert E. Lee. It was directed at Stonewall Jackson. It was directed at the people who could, uh, who obviously fomented rebellion against the United States because they led the Confederacy. They fought and they led armed units of the Confederate Army. So that was pretty plain. You didn't have to be convicted. Nobody had to convict Robert E. Lee of being an insurrection. Well, we don't have that situation. Now, that's the stretch, was trying to take that part of the 14th Amendment, which was done in a context where, you know, answering the question, who are we talking about, was completely obvious to a situation in which it's not at all obvious. And uh, there, I think that we, what Ibang is saying is if we're going to do it now, it has to be in the relation to an actual conviction mm -hmm. where it becomes clear that through a, a legal proceeding, someone has been convicted of insurrection. Otherwise, it's just, uh, it's meaningless. And that's why I think it didn't go anywhere, just like uh, invoking the 25th Amendment to get rid of Trump when he was president in the last six months of his presidency, went absolutely nowhere. Because if you read what it actually says in the 25th Amendment, it's, it's just ludicrous to think you could do that now. 
Denise, I wanted to get your take on this, and then I'm going to ask um, uh, Michael and, and you, Denise, to, to make way for our other guests on the line, uh, John Lugo and Hazel, who are standing by. Mm -hmm. So, okay. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, get your take on, on this whole 14th Amendment. Yeah, well, there's not much in there that has any clear language that if someone is running, I mean, based on what Richard said before, there are numerous reasons, moral, ethical, you go down the list, why uh, Donald Trump should not have run or perhaps even be permitted to run. But that's on how we're thinking for the most part. What it says in the 14th Amendment doesn't really have anything like that. And my understanding is, even if he's convicted, he could still run. He could even be in jail, right. <laughs> is my understanding. And then at that point, if he did win, he would, of course, pardon himself, and that would be the end of it. But I don't, I don't think there's any clear language there that bars someone accused of a crime or even convicted from running for the presidency of the United States. I really don't unless think the there. Yeah. Unless it's being convicted of sedition, apparently. Well, high which, crimes um, and misdemeanors is another situation altogether. But a, you know, criminal act of other kind, perhaps nothing, you know, against directly against the United States, which is, to me, what these indictments are about. You know, against the United States, really. So. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying, why is he even allowed to run? Well, mm -hmm. because that's the way the language is, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't know if anybody disagrees with that, but... Well, thank you, Denise and Michael. I was going to get uh, John Lugo and Hazel Kahn in the line shortly, but uh, thank okay. you both for joining us uh, this afternoon, and we've got more to come, so... Yeah, thank you for having me and, um, and for having this hour special. Very good. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. Very good. Thanks a lot. Yep. Pleasure to be okay. with you all. Well, I'd like, uh, while I get uh, Hazel and John on the line, maybe I could have uh, Richard uh, and Ibang uh, continue this conversation in any direction you want about the, the Trump indictment and where it goes next. Well, uh, my thing is that uh, I, I was, um, I'm happy that I've lived through this because it's not something that I thought I would ever have to deal with. I have, I grew up dealing, I mean, um, having coups, you know, <laughs> on a regular basis in Nigeria. So I understand pretty much what a coup is. Um, and um, this was a coup, you know. It, it, it was an unsuccessful coup, but it was a coup because it was trying to truncate the legal um, um, transition uh, from one government to the next, and that's what a coup is, uh, you know. And um, I, I don't know about Richard, but um, I, I never thought I would see what I saw on January sixth at the at the at the U.S. Capitol. I never thought I'd see that. Yeah, I I guess I'd never I never thought I take it back. <laughs> Four years prior to, I never thought, I, or yeah, to, to 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 lead up to Trump's election, but I, I never thought I would see the likes of Donald Trump elected in the first place. 
And I've been through some pretty horrendous presidential terms, uh, you know, going all the way back to Richard Nixon and all and then follow, you know, Ronald Reagan and on and up onward and or I should say onward and downward from there. So uh, Trump was a just a, a horror from the beginning. He got worse month by month, year by year. And so to me, the I, I wasn't I wasn't shocked. I really wasn't shocked when he, you know, pulled the strings of, of, of his puppets and got them all to to uh, assemble at the Capitol and do what they did. And uh, so, yeah, it, it. I think I guess what I wonder is. It's so, it's so difficult. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm really gratified, uh, Eban, that you were able to reflect from the point of view of somebody, a Nigerian, who was witnessed. And I was in Nigeria, by the way, when coups were taking place <laughs> yeah. in the 70s. So, I mean, I had to cross the border uh, from uh, um, Benin, Benin into uh, um, Nigeria and, you know, was accosted by military people who, who were enforcing this new regime that took place. And so, I mean, from the point of view of somebody who has lived through that multiple times outside of the United States, for you to reflect on it occurring in our country, you know, for me to look at it, I was like, I, I, it's so difficult for me to even process it mm. because— it's so it's such it's such a like a kind of a, a white elephant, no pun intended, <laughs> that 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 suddenly arrived, you know, in this whoa wow, it's a coup. It actually happened to us, you know. Right. So I, I don't know I I don't know how else to uh, characterize it because it's so strange, and um, you know I guess it it's been a long time in the in the making, and now we're you know we're 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 trying to process it you know i have uh, i have john lugo and hazel khan on the line they've been uh, patiently waiting maybe we could uh, get uh, uh john and hazel to say i'll ask you to go first john tell us a little bit about your feelings on well, just a discussion of coups abroad that we've witnessed here in this country and as he bong and uh richard just said they've witnessed them themselves of course through their lifetimes uh, what's your feeling john i know from Latin America, we've seen a lot of coups, many of them fomented by the United States. But tell us a little bit about your take on things. You just answered my question. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, um, I moved to the United States back in, uh, you know, back in 1986. I closed the border. And I think the first city I moved, uh, I moved in, in, in the United States was New York. And I remember all the scandals, you know, that this crook dated in those days, and he was going after one bankruptcy and after another one, and, and nothing ever happened to him, you know, like nothing ever, he never any, paid any consequences, you know. So when he decided to run as a president, I said, I cannot believe that this guy is going to be like, he's running, knowing that he has been a crook all his life, you know. And even like his family, you know, the, like this morning I was playing like a Woody Guthrie, like son about his father who was like a, you know, like a crook landlord in in New York, you know. And so, listen, I, I think, you know, like what's, what's happening here, I, you know, I don't, 
you know, I don't have a lot of thinking about what's going on in this country. It just I feel like what what Donald Trump did is what this the, this country has been doing to every other country, or to, especially in Latin America. That, that you just just mentioned it. You know, I you know I came from a lot of experience. You know, doing a lot of anti North America you know intervention in in in, um, in our continent back in you know down south. Uh, so I guess it's like I don't know. It's you know you cannot keep spinning to the to the air without you know thinking that nothing is going to come into your face. You know, and, you know, and I think it's just what. Well, thank you, John Hazel. Um, we haven't heard from you yet. Uh, what what are some of your initial reactions to this indictment of Donald Trump for his attempt? For his alleged attempt to overturn, yes, we can. For okay. his alleged attempt to overturn the 2020 election, what what are some of your initial reactions? I don't know. I'm, I I have I'm very little to add to to all of that. I'm just I am really occupied, preoccupied with this this prevailing and and it goes across all dimensions. I mean, you or my, my colleagues, my very sort of intelligent and, and educated colleagues have talked about mainly the political and the legal aspects of all of this. And my interest is, is what is it that makes people uh, addicted or whatever the word is to Donald Trump? I'm not trying to understand the people all around him, whether they're politicians or journalists or just regular voters. I don't know what it is. And I hear a lot of people, and including our, our colleagues today, saying things. Denise said, you know, it boggles the mind. And um, uh, somebody, you know, somebody else, I can't remember who it was, one of, one of you all said, and the, the emphasis is on focusing on Trump's behavior or the politician's behavior. But they're always asking the question, but it's always in a rhetorical way rather than truly a deep desire to understand what on earth is going on. What I think of when growing up, I mean, I did not grow up in this country, as, as I think you know, but I always thought, as everybody did, and as Americans themselves did for a very long time, these are educated people. There's a school system, an education system, Kids learn right from wrong and all of this stuff. So I'm wondering, what, where did that go? So that whether it's 30% of some other amount, a number of, of, of fraction of people, um, where did all that get go? How did it get um, compromised or, or distorted so that people are willing to go out in such weird ways to support this man. So my question is, I'm, I may sound as if I'm asking a rhetorical question, but I'm actually not. I'm seriously uh, disturbed that there's not enough psychological insight that's going on in the questions being asked and in the dimensions that are being investigated. This, where are the psychologists? I mean, there were a bunch of books that came out you know, in 2016, and everybody was sort of going on about, you know, 40 psychologists talking about Trump. But I'm not even interested in Trump. I want to know what is it that, that, that has 
so ensnared people that they've lost their minds. And I, I mean that as a question that does have an answer. I don't think they feel they've lost their minds. I have interviewed a lot of people at Trump rallies. I've been to quite a few Trump rallies, and it's a surreal experience. Um, but um, I have uh, I have been, uh, I've talked to them one-on-one, -on -one. And it's, very, it's a very different um, attitude if you talk to them one-on-one -on -one and when they're in the crowd. The mob mentality takes over, and the orchestrator is Donald Trump. He is the, uh, what they call the conductor. circus, the circus conductor. He, he, he and, and he comes out, he reels out the greatest hits. It, it, it is almost the same as when I go to see a live concert and people are waiting for the musician to come out with the greatest hits and they go all crazy. That is what happens at Trump rally. And now I have, I have gone to talk to, to the people one-on-one. -on -one. And first of all, the, the impression that I had was uh, that there was a certain kind of person that went to a Trump rally. I was, <laughs> that, well, that was quickly dis demystified for me mm -hmm. when I saw that they were very well educated, they were pretty well off. Most of the people that I saw at uh, the Trump rallies that I went, I mean, I only went to the ones in Connecticut, but I will tell you that it, it, it was BMWs, Mercedes-Benz, um, you know, Range Rovers, those were the cars that were coming into wow. the parking lot. You know, so, so, so basically, uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, I think that Trump understands that psychology very well. You know, we have a call from Nashville on the line. I believe it's Michael Dunneman, who we all know very well. <laughs> we miss you, Michael. Tell us what you're thinking, Michael, about all this. Gentlemen. As they say, the wheels of justice turn slowly. I think these wheels have caught flats or slow leaks. Um, this has taken so long, and I don't, I don't, I can't say that I've lost faith. I think that justice will be done. I just don't understand why it has taken so long and why this game show host has not been held accountable. There is a fear that permeates. Um, I don't know if it's fear. I, I, I brought the word of fear to some friends of mine. So I, didn't I don't understand why people are so afraid of this guy. And someone said, you know, actually, they're not afraid because they are him. Hmm. Um, how he has been able to transform some of the members of the Republic, Republican Party boggles the mind. But I think these are people who are in search of power anyway. So they will go whichever way the wind blows. But um, this guy needs to be dealt with, and he needs to be dealt with quickly. Because as he says, we won't have a country anymore. We won't have a country anymore. And it won't be because of anything. It'll, it will be because of anything he does or everything he does from here on in. Mm -hmm. Well, Michael, thank you for calling in. Appreciate the commentary. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you, Mike. Soon. Take I'll, care. I'll be in Bridgeport next week. All right. Okay. Good enough. And I, just, I did want to, you know, we were talking about racism as being a piece of why so many people are attracted to support Donald Trump. And, uh, and then I, how do you explain the people that support him in Nigeria? 
That, I'm not going to go there. But I am going to spe- I'm going to mention this. Trump specifically attempted to invalidate the votes of African Americans in cities where the population is majority black. And now with this trial, he's indicated he may want to change the venue of his trial in Was- from Washington D.C. to somewhere else. And uh, Peacock TV commentator Mehdi Hassan said it best when he said this: "Quote." To be clear, Trump doesn't want to be tried in a black city by a black jury and a black judge for a crime allegedly committed in that black city to try and deprive black residents of other black cities, Atlanta, Detroit, Philadelphia, from having their votes counted. That's it. And I think Mediasan hit the note on the head. So, so you know, Trump then... He's, you know that, that nursery rhyme about Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, took all the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. Well, in this case, it's not even that they can't put him together again. They can't even understand how he fell and didn't break himself into a million pieces. They're not trying to put him together again. So what is it? What is it that all the king's horses and all the king's men don't know that 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 Trump does know. So that's the issue to me is why is everybody else failing to understand this man? What is it about us ourselves that we are somehow unable to capture the essence? Because all of these things about because he's like us, or he's like them, and, and, and he's afraid and they're not afraid. All of those things, none of them really captured because we're not able to predict him. We're not able to ensnare him. All the politicians and all the legal scholars are still flailing because they haven't yet. I mean, this may change. Maybe it'll change next month. I don't know. But there's been this curious vacuum, an inability to come to terms with what is it that people see in him. There have been a lot of little theories, but no mega theory. Right. Well, I'm going to just uh, try to wrap things up. We're, we're about four or five minutes away from ending this special program on the Trump indictment. And I'll just mention the media. I think we have a very balkanized yeah. media. You have people locked in a bubble yep. of disinformation that uh, killed tens or hundreds of thousands during COVID and lots of other destructive messages going out from places like Fox, Fox News. I think the watershed, and, and the watershed was 19, 1987. Was it 87 that the, the Fairness Doctrine was taken out and then mm. the, the ownership uh, uh, rules were changed for media? Mm. And um, and basically, that was what started talk radio. I mean, it took off right uh, after right. that. Rush Limbaugh made Rush Limbaugh and, the and, late Rush Limbaugh. Awesome. And that's what I just g- must say, must add to that also a lack of ex- lack of respect for expertise mm-hmm. that the media has cultivated. So that experts are put down. Look at Fauci, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Richard, I wanted to get your take as well. If we have time, I think we do. Oh well, I. I don't want to get caught uh, right at the last second here, but no, I'll just I just want to uh, say that I think this conversation is we're just beginning it. Uh, uh, Hazel has raised so many very interesting questions. Abang also uh, this conversation about the media really needs uh, another hour or two to mm-hmm. explore. But clearly, uh, you know, watching the coverage on the corporate media uh, of this thing, it's just a continuous site recycling of the same events, the same data over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the, the kind of conversation we're, ha- we're trying to have here today 
is a type that is needed and must be uh, reiterated in many, many different uh, media and venues. So I congratulate all who participated. Scott, thank you so much for your uh, work on this. And um, Ebong, thank you so much again for bringing your interesting perspective. And uh, that's my pleasure to participate. Well, I want to thank you all. And, uh, you know, Ebong, maybe I can just have you, since you're here in the studio with me, to kind of help us sign off. We've only got about a, a minute or so left. So, um, yeah, anything you want to conclude with, Ebong, that would be uh, helpful to our listeners to guide us uh, during this very dangerous period over the next bunch of months? Well, the thing about it is that I, I feel jaded. And I think... I should encourage people not to be, you know, mm. to stay focused because uh, that's what happens when we're inundated with this constantly. We have to stay focused and um, uh, hopefully uh, we'll see a trial that will be on the up and up and uh, we'll see a conclusion to this sometime soon. All right. Well, thank you all. This has been a special program about Donald Trump's uh, August 1st indictment on his attempt, his alleged attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Lots more coming up here on WPKN. And we thank you for supporting this listener-supported radio station where this kind of program is possible. Stay tuned.